0: Tonight is your chance to see how it all began. To relive the excitement that is V, the most extraordinary miniseries ever. A daring TV journalist struggling to uncover the startling truth behind the alien's visit to Earth. And a beautiful and brave young scientist fighting for the very survival of the human race. Together they take you on a fantastic journey to meet the visitors. Prepare yourself for a television event that's out of this world. Prepare for V, next
1: everyone and welcome once again to Geek Fest Rants. My name is Carlos Perón and joining me today I have James. Say hi James. Hello, hello. Today we are going to be exploring one of our older television shows we used to watch which we have very fond memories of and it's one of these things that You don't really want to get too close because the closer you get to these memories, they're going to start to hurt a little. They're going to start to sting. (laughs) And it's happened before with some of these shows that we're very fond of. And then when we start to really dig and dig into them, it's like, oh, my God, what were we doing? But it's true that we used to actually like this. And there are very good aspects to it. But there are also certain aspects that it's like, oh, my God, it's just unbelievable how bad some things are. Similar to, I remember we talked about Logan's Run, you know, you have so much fun with the initial presentation of the product, and then when they do the home version of it, you're like, oh my God, what happened? This
2: is better in almost every way than the Logan's Run TV series, Yeah, but again, this was great upon first viewing. Right. Second viewing, (laughs) you start to see, like, who's behind the curtain, and then- Well, let's tell them what we're talking about. If you own the DVD, you're really in trouble.
1: We're talking about V. V as in visitors, V as in the final battle- V, as in the series, the reboot, the books, the toys. You know, this was like mid 80s, probably 83. This was a was television
2: attempt to have a real property that, you know, they were trying, I guess, rival Star Trek, which there was no Star Trek at the time, just movies. The TV series was trying to be an action adventure right. more than a space battle type series. Right. So.
1: There was a definite tone, if you will, a definite message. That was basically presented in a sci-fi format. Yeah,
2: That's the bottom line. There was a message that they made in a more fan-friendly way. Right, it wasn't just
1: sci-fi gunfights. Let's talk a little bit about the actual story. What do you remember about... Because, again, this was presented to us as a miniseries. And this is something that they don't really do much these days anymore. Whenever a network would put out a miniseries, it was like... It was a big deal. It's like, oh, wow, this year they're doing a two, three part whatever. And it was a big deal.
2: This was the middle to tail end of the miniseries craze. Roots, Rich Man and Poor Man, that generally started it in the late 70s. This was kind of like the middle section, which... For miniseries, it was tough because they wanted them to be grander and more elaborate. There was some that spent huge budgets, like The Winds of War and War and Remembrance. It was just like bigger than most features.
1: And this is also before cable was as big as it is now.
2: So this, to me, it snuck upon me. Now, it's not like now where you have internet, you know something's coming two years ahead of time. The minute they sign a director or they sign a deal to make something, you know about it on the internet. This kind of snuck up on us. It was sweeps period in May of 83. And
1: it also felt even the, let's say, the two-week period leading to it. Because like you said, we didn't have too much of a heads up because we weren't that tuned into what's well, coming. But it had this epic feel and this epic promotion of, specifically because in the commercials for it, it was kind of like, in different parts of the world, this is all happening. And they give you these white shots of, you know, known world landmarks with... UFOs approaching in it and it's like, wow, this looks really interesting.
2: Well, the thing is, and I, we always come back to Star Wars, this was three weeks before the release of Return of the Jedi. So for me, I was really focused on Return of the Jedi. At that point, I had already received a early copy of the Marvel comic of Return of the Jedi. Figures were sneaking out. So my mind and my soul were all into Star Wars and Return of the Jedi. So when this popped up and people were starting to rave about it, like adults were raving about it because it didn't come across like a plain sci-fi show. It had a message and the message was an allegory for the rise of Nazism in Europe in the 30s.
1: Now, apparently this was first pitched by the same person, Kenneth Johnson, who some of you sci-fi fans might remember him from The Incredible Hulk. This is a guy who's... Very well familiar with- He
2: had a pedigree of this kind of genre, with genre
1: stuff. genre, sci-fi, I guess, superhero. You know, Somebody who has that kind of pedigree, like you said, who is into the genre stuff. What are some of the uh, other examples other than The Incredible Hulk?
2: The Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, I heard of that. The Bionic Woman. He created Jamie Summers, the Bionic Woman character, <laughs> for The Six Million Dollar Man, which was spun off into her own series. Almost a more successful series. So this is him basically doing the
1: 80s version of what he does best. And apparently, from what I'm reading, he pitched the show to NBC earlier without the sci-fi element. It was more of a, you know, the whole fascist type of environment of a country turning on itself, but just by itself without the space aliens.
2: Yeah. And I think they needed to lure that little extra buzz because of Return of the Jedi and and Star Trek and stuff. Right. At
1: the time, apparently they turned them down for it. So then he kind of retweaked it and threw in the big sci-fi element, which like, ooh, wait a minute. Now we're talking. you know, that's what got them into it.
2: Now, I recall, like, little tidbits. I guess this is more anecdotal. Whether it's fact or not, I could be wrong. People talking about the scene where... The alien opens its mouth and eats the mouse. Like they look just like us. They're very pretty. They're good looking ladies and handsome men. And, but then these little hints start coming out and people witness these strange occurrences the eating of the mouse, the animals getting upset when the visitors are around. And then the reveal is when they rip some skin off and it right. turns out this is actually a creature disguising itself. And in a way, they're saying, you know, the Nazis appeared to be your friends and they were going to save, you know, Europe until the reality is of what they were doing. And they wanted to exterminate people. They wanted to right. conquer but lands. The they whole wanted- fascist
1: undercurrent runs through the show and it's very allegorical and you could see example certain characters. Some are like Holocaust survivors who are kind of seeing this happen again. But let's go a little bit into the actual story. The star of the show, the star of the miniseries, is Mark Singer, who, at the time, we didn't know him much. The only thing he had going for himself, as far as I know, and maybe I didn't know this till afterwards, because <laughs> HBO would play the crap out of it, was a fantasy wannabe Conan type of movie called The Beastmaster. Yeah, And, it, and he was a- It had its charm. He, a, <laughs> <laughs> he was this kind of buff, not Schwarzenegger kind of buff, but- moderately buff young guy who can kind of communicate with animals telepathically and he had like a lion I think and like ferrets and some weird animals and it was kind of like a sword and sorcery type of thing. A sad side
2: on that is that the tiger died because they painted him and he wound up dying and oh it, it's God. kind of upsetting when you rewatch and you think about this animal had to die for this dopey movie. But... And they played
1: it endlessly on yeah. HBO and but at the time I don't know if they were playing it already at the time he might have became like extra famous because of the fact that that was being played. <laughs> but he played the a title- classic. Oh my God. Speaking of which. So he's the lead character. Now tell us about
2: what his job is. This character of Mike Donovan is supposed to be a TV news cameraman. What a surprise.
1: Well, I remember, which is, again, it's part of that whole commercials they used to play of the whole introduction of the characters and where you have him somewhere in Central America covering a story. He's being chased by- Some kind of revolutionary uh, military type of guys. It's him and his audio guy, because it's like, you know, he's the camera guy, and he's got the audio guy, and all of a sudden, they're pretty much caught, they're cornered somewhere, and right about the time where they're about to kill him, I think, or kill a whole bunch of other people, everything stops, and everybody starts looking up in the air, and you got the shot of him, which the name they used in every single opening of the TV show, and the second miniseries, which is him filming the reveal of the first flying saucer coming towards, you know, the camera.
2: And this is a traditional looking giant flying saucer approaching landmarks. And, you know, that's the big lure to get you in. Like, now people like seeing these landmarks blown up in movies. That was like, oh my goodness. No,
1: and for the time, for television effects, very well made. A lot of matte painting looking, you know, world historic landmarks, uh, ships approaching and kind of parking themselves near. Great
2: wall. Yeah, right. And
1: everybody's like looking up and figuring out what to say. And then the story then progresses to. Everybody's just waiting to see what's going to happen next. Now, the way that we are now introduced to more characters is by figuring out how are these people going to communicate and what are they here to say? What are they here to do? So you can tell us more or less what happens, you know, their introduction to us. Well,
2: in his role as news cameraman and news, you know, ENG crew, he is paired with his estranged girlfriend and his sound man, and they... Are on the scene when the visitors first arrive on the top of the UN, and they're fortunate enough to win the lottery Uh of being able to go to the mothership over Los Angeles and, I guess, conduct interviews and try to uncover who these visitors are and what they're here for. And they claim they're here to help us.
1: Right they need and some they, chemicals from They for need that, a combination some rare chemicals that we don't that we, really have a use but for but they
2: can help us curing diseases right, and technology and, and this and that Growing food and all these kind of things and eventually there's a few mysteries things seem to be not just right with them some people some it's, you can you can communicate and be around some of the leaders which right. was like Diana is this hot looking dark haired well that's, that's, villainous looking but she's like just mysterious
1: that's one of the things they notice at first is that yeah. they're all very kind of glamorous and nice-looking and very, like, too normal-looking people. And as this is happening, there's also a very slight undercurrent of some people start disappearing, scientists start saying weird things that people are not happy about, and everybody's trying to keep it kind of quiet, like, you know, these are nice people, you know, don't bother them, you know, just go along with what they're saying.
2: So at this point, then, as Mike being the type of guy, he questions things more, his ex, wants this big story and she's being promised the world this is going to be her polled surprise well and he's done her, them, they're investigative Emmy
1: reporters and you know? things like
2: that so little by little the visitors start using her to get their message across to get some good pr and he starts to uncover some things that aren't quite right and the big reveal is i think at the end of the first episode is this visitor is about to eat a mouse and opens its mouth like an iguana and eats this mouse and the audience are left stunned it's like oh my god what are these people you know and it-
1: well they start noticing that they have obvious very physical differences in terms of first of all their voice sounds different there's like a reverb sound to their voice they seem to be somewhat impervious to certain temperatures. One of the B characters, if you will, who was played by an up-and-coming actor at the time called Robert Englund, who most of us he our also, age know yeah, as Freddy Krueger, exactly. who basically doesn't exist anymore. He played one of the very sympathetic, goofy
2: visitors. Kind of simple-minded. Yeah, and... Who is
1: kind of, he's attracted to uh, one of the regular girls there, and he saves a guy from like liquid nitrogen accident. The and guy snaps his him. hand, but he saves him and he's not hurt. But they do notice that his skin starts to kind of peel. Like, what the hell is that? And they kind of shuffle him away because they're going to be, okay, fine, whatever. So as you said before, things are happening. People are starting to disappear here and there. The media is becoming very complicit. The government is becoming very complicit with whatever agenda it is that these visitors have. And Mike Donovan, at the same time, is having lots of problems with his son. His son, you know, because they're divorced, his son is always kind of like the typical, I hate you, dad type of son. Yeah. And well, oh,
2: he's like a 10, 12 year old kid. Right. Who's, and ironically, here's a little scene that didn't really make fruition. He, the son, is playing with a little plastic spaceship and visitor figures and he's like oh this is john the leader so he's got basically the equivalent of star wars figures of the visitors
1: yeah, now it's, you're introduced to other characters too you have a girl who becomes uh someone involved this is a different girl well, this is
2: there's a family right we're led to believe they're a jewish family because the grandfather the grandfather was a survivor starts, yeah it's, it explains how he's seen this before and i think they allude to his numbers which are from the concentration camp things like this and a next door neighbor who's a bit of a Lothario type. He thinks he's cool, but he's not that cool. And then he winds up joining the Youth Corps, which is it's our like analogy the to the Hitler, the Hitler youth. youth. And yeah. his job is to help the visitors. Coordinate things and in turn, probably snitch on their neighbors. They and give him
1: a nifty uniform, <laughs>
2: and he actually does sell <laughs> some out some nice his neighbors. Boots. <laughs> he does sell out his neighbors, and now that's part of another B story trying to figure out, you know, how do they undo this and how do they save these people because they're going to be sent to these camps, and we still don't know what these camps are for, right?
1: And as the story progresses, we find that yes, the scientists are disappearing, the few that are still around. They're forming somewhat of a resistance network, if you will, to kind of figure out what's happening. And as James mentioned before, the climax of the show basically comes when Mike Donovan sneaks into the mothership and I guess he's kind of moving around through the air ducts and this and that, trying to figure out where people are and... He witnesses a lot of weird stuff, including a feeding by Diana, I think yeah. one of them is.
2: There's, she- there's a lot of little things that are going on and they're happening actually rapid fire because I think it was a two-parter. A f- yes. And the man who's part of the visitor youth is jealous because one of the visitors seduces an Ur- mm-hmm. his neighbor, yep. uh, an Earth Ur- teenager, and winds up impregnating her. And that becomes a whole dilemma in the future series and things like that, so he turns in her family. Her father's a noted scientist. Yep. Now he's on the run. They're trying to hide. There's a uh, Hispanic yard type worker who has experience moving people around. Apparently, <laughs> they allege, you know, in and out of the country. So he sneaks them out. There's a little scene on the road, which is kind of memorable. That with the onion, exactly. He's <laughs> used to this checkpoint Charlie type stuff, and he takes a huge bite of an onion to you know make his breath unpleasant when the visitors and the police you know start checking and trying to look for it and you know it's just this whole little thing. One of the things that they were noticing is
1: that not only are scientists disappearing, but the scientists who are not disappearing, they sometimes seem to be using the wrong hand and they're like their personalities have changed somehow. Like somebody did something to them. And as a result of Mike Donovan's contact with the fifth column, a visitor or a visitor group that is calling themselves the Fifth Column who are supposed to be sympathetic to humanity as opposed to whatever the hell it is these other people are doing. The big climax of the show, as we mentioned before, is not only does he find out that these aliens are something different in terms of they're not as human as they seem. They're eating like live animals and their faces are stretching out to accommodate like an entire hamster down their throat and stuff. But they take them to a big storage area within the ship where they show him that they have what appears to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people kind of cryogenically frozen almost, which is basically they're stealing people because their food supply, and they're also stealing water.
2: Yeah. So that's the big plan. I'm assuming there was a plan for the final battle while this was being made and aired. Oh, yeah. Because it ends... Very ambiguously, they do an initial battle to try to you know, strike their first blow. Right, and They're trying first, to send messages that's to space. Thing.
1: Not so much that, but the purpose of the first plan for them is to expose the aliens, yeah. not so to win the battle. They're trying
2: to get other parts of the earth aware of what this menace is real. And so that ends almost on a cliffhanger. I mean, it ends, but it, there's clearly more to this story. And then everybody was hooked and we became made aware that there would be a sequel, which became the next year via the final battle, which was a three-parter.
1: And like you said, it's pretty obvious that they had this in mind because you don't just leave people hanging like this. So now we move on to the second miniseries, which we were looking forward to this. like
2: Yeah, at this point we're expecting it and everybody's looking forward to it. big promotion, middle of May sweeps, of course, and it picked right up.
1: Well, for the second miniseries, everybody's back. Jane Badler. Kinda of like the second in command of the bad guys, but the really nasty the good cop, bad cop, the supreme, she's bad
2: cop. Yeah, she the supreme <laughs> commander is John, but she's basically she's the, the one doing all the dirty deeds right. and you know. John
1: is the PR good guy for them and she's the real brains behind everything. And Here we have a more organized. Yeah, it picks up, and there's a
2: resistance now. They're a bit more militaristic, but with you know regular folks who have joined. Some of the characters from the previous show, you know, have continued to join with them. The scientist, his daughter, is now very pregnant at this point. Enough time has passed that she's pregnant, and there are concerns that what's going to happen because they know she's impregnated by an alien.
1: Right, and now Robert Englund's character Willie, he's now kind of a secret fifth column member. You know, he's hanging out with his human girlfriend, helping out the good guys, if you will. He's almost a little bit kind of like the comic relief of the show. The lead good guys are still here.
2: But of course... Mike Donovan's estranged girlfriend, who is, you know, now basically the spokesperson for the visitors. I mean, it's almost like she's a, uh, you know... Well, that's the
1: concept of the collaborators. People that are not psychologically altered in any way, they just choose to side with the bad guys in the show. And that's what happens to not only her, but... His mom, even, who's supposed to be this rich, well, wealthy, yeah, we individual. forgot to mention that
2: his mom was totally seduced by them because she's like, I'm going with the flow. <laughs> her, I don't think it was Mike's dad, but her husband at the time was a chemical plant uh-huh. uh, owner or manager or CEO, whatever it was. And they basically get to him through her and promise her so much, you know, fantastic stuff. And a lot of that happened in France, especially where people were seduced by the nazis to work with them collaborate and i mean that's almost worse that's almost worse of a traitor to your people than the actual invader when you'll turn on your own people to get you know material gain and i I think they were trying to make a big point there Uh and this could happen this could easily happen in manchester you say oh that's the 40s that's world war ii but people are easily swayed to do the bad thing when you dangle something in front of them i think
1: well the other thing is that we are also introduced to some new characters, including one of my favorite character actors, Michael Ironside, who plays kind of like a a Han Solo. He's like a Han Solo, shady, uh, pseudo terroristic kind of you know a guy who gets things done without questions asked type it, of guy. There's gun. no
2: doubt in my mind he's a Han Solo because his name is Ham Ham Tyler. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's fine. I mean, at least at least you know. It's obvious what it is one of my favorite characters with him, and I still associate the two to this day, and I forget if I've seen them together ever again, but Dennis Berkeley was his heavy-set biker-looking kind yeah. of sidekick, his Chewbacca, and they were great together. That's my favorite pairing to this day, you know, about V.
1: And this particular story deals more with the mind control aspect of some of the people. They capture Julie at some point. Is that right, James?
2: In the second night's episode, there was this big attack on a big event that was taking place under the visitor's watch. The lead alien, the John. leader. John, was it John? John, and he was John. exposed on TV. On TV, they ripped his skin off. But then they try to make it sound like that that was imaginary. You imagine it, there were terrorists who, right, right, who, right. It was all who like... tried to fool us, which kind of plays into what people feel, even to this day, how news is manipulated, and there are even people who think the World Trade Center didn't really happen but, somehow. But
1: the reveal was... Out there. In other words, you can't get any more than that. They rip off his face and you see this reptilian lizardy face underneath. And his eye is even like yellowish or something. You know, they give yeah, you like the a whole lizard. thing
2: there. And it turns out they embarrass the visitors, but Julie gets captured. And Diana has it reenacted again for replay to almost deny that there was, that this was imagination. They were some terrorists. We subdued them and the night went on like we wanted it to. But anyway, Julie's capture, they use a lot of psychological warfare on her. Again, much like how the Nazis did medical experiments on their prisoners, Diana uses Julie to take her fears and use them against her Mm -hmm. as well as implant new fears to make her a weapon against the resistance to be able to send them back send and they back. eventually a plan they know that she'll be allowed to be recaptured by the resistance or they'll release her outright and of course some people do suspect that there's something going on it was too easy how she got back and i guess you know that's their goal is to ferret out the resistance through her
1: now one of the big events of this second miniseries is the birth of the alien baby and that's something that is basically promoted that's the big selling point yeah, of this that whole that was that thing. night's
2: big deal. It was a big deal. And it was a bit of a gimmick. I mean, everybody's waiting, everybody's waiting, and then all of a sudden, there's this green baby comes. They were actually, <laughs> you know, we're missing. There were two of them. This beautiful baby comes out, and everybody's, and then all of a sudden, there's, oh, wait, an, there's one another won't. one. It's this green, like almost, they're trying to be like an alien. The birth of the chestburster, because... That one eventually dies. The show ends with, like, the shocked faces of the people. (laughs) Well, what's
1: interesting about the birth of these babies is that apparently the boy, who's the reptilian one, dies and the girl, who's the more human one, lives.
2: And through that birth- Well, hold on, you're missing the whole thing. It's a beautiful baby, but when she opens her mouth, she has this lizard tongue. Well, that could happen. (laughs) The reptilian boy, that is a shocker because he looks like a reptile, but the girl has these other properties, which they kind of eventually (laughs) drop the whole reptile tongue thing in favor of this other gimmick. Well, because they can't
1: have a full reptile running around yeah Yeah, we'll shirt.
2: have this other gimmick that <laughs> we'll talk about as it goes to series.
1: Well, the important thing, or the MacGuffin, if you will, is that through this birth and through the fact that one dies and one doesn't die, they find there's a certain property, chemical property, that turns into the secret weapon against the visitors and this is the
2: red dust i feel like this is slightly like a doctor who gimmick where the gold powder will kill the cybermen i mean this is not something new but they wind up being able to manufacture this red dust but they have to release it in such a way that so many visitors can succumb to it and it becomes this big gimmick now how are they going to do that how are they going to release it well just dumping it in the water supply isn't enough a few bags into the air but the big reveal of this one is a fleet of hot air balloons and then just emptying out these bags into the atmosphere and the wind jet stream and everybody would around the world and it would just take it around to wind up making these people, you know, I guess basically choke to death. Yeah, they can't breathe this stuff. So finally, I guess, one of the best conclusions of, you know, beating the bad guys, The Visitor, played by Andrew Prine, is, you know, pretty vindictive and I think he's like, we're going to blow up the world then. If we can't have it, we'll destroy it. Nobody will have it. Explode and the mothership or something. Cam Tyler eventually arrives on the scene, subdues Andrew Prine, and then dumps the red powder just all over his face and he basically just chokes to death. And it was just a nice, yeah, F you.
1: <laughs> now, I remember when I was watching this, it seemed a little like, all right, we need to wrap this up. So it's kind of like releasing a red dust across the world seemed like an easy way to kind of wrap things up it was like all right guys it's time to wrap it up let's end this so it kind of felt a little weird and what's also odd is the fact that you know you're ending this miniseries with a somewhat of a conclusive ending to it in terms of the good guys won. It didn't feel like the first miniseries, which was kind of set up to be uh, yeah. waiting for a conclusion. This felt this like, one there felt was like a okay, we're pretty much
2: done here. Even with the ultimate conclusion in past the Red Dust part, the, the star child, the baby girl, winds up growing at a faster pace. Uh-huh. And then she's basically responsible for finally subduing Diana's right. mothership. Mothership, and,
1: self-exploding. Yeah, uh, and, and
2: then we're left to believe, well... It's going to be a happy ending. They'll mop up the visitors. A lot like how Return of the Jedi, we were to assume that, okay, well, you know, they cut off the head and now it's just a mop-up time for cleaning up the Empire. That's a pretty
1: conclusive ending. And little did we know at the time that they were already planning at some point to take this into a TV series. And less than a year later, as the fall season comes around, all of a sudden there's V the series.
2: Yeah, and I'm not quite sure if they announced that there was more at the end of the final battle or if it took a few months for them to say, hey... I don't know,
1: but if you think about it... I mean, granted, this thing airs in the beginning of the year. It's been shot for months already, so fine. That's all good and done.
2: It launched in October, so I imagine they either rushed... Well, you figure they could have finished shooting the final battle by, like, January-ish, and realized hey it's a decent one we're probably going to pick it up as a series start shooting around may june ish once the ratings came in yeah for and the... I, I recall them being pretty big in the ratings
1: now the tv show yikes it was not as good as the you know it previous started, movies <laughs> it started
2: off as everybody's theirs they have a mothership they have control of a mothership and they'll be able to find out more about the visitors find out some more of their weaknesses tap into their communication i think they're still looking for you know, other aliens who don't like these visitors that maybe would help them, which I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And there's hope. There's high hope, but it very quickly yeah. fell into disarray. I don't
1: even remember if it lasted an entire technical season. Well, it was 19 episodes, so that's pretty big. It's pretty close to a full season. But, yeah, I mean, I remember... And that's just something that happens to any television show. And that is, there is no conclusion. There's never a conclusion to it. It's always, you know, the good guys go two steps forward and then three steps back. Two steps forward, three steps... Because obviously, nobody can win. If anybody wins, then the show's over in one shape or the other. And as the show moved on a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time, I remember that at a certain point, I don't know, maybe it was about three quarters of the way, all of a sudden, certain characters started dropping out. And that was definitely an important moment in the show because that's when we kind of knew something's going on here.
2: (laughs) The show is probably not very successful. There was a purge and they got rid of people, you know, a lot of secondary characters. I believe they basically eventually got rid of Ham Tyler. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they brought on some new characters. I think they were trying to bring on these hot looking... Other, you know, other guy, aliens. His
1: son, the the guy's, uh, the rich guy's son, who was a very handsome looking guy who was helping the rebels while the father was helping the aliens. And he was like a, almost like a mediator between the humans and the aliens. And it was like, you know what? They were trying to turn it into a somewhat of a soap opera type of situation where it never ends. It just keeps going and going and going. Now, here's one of the things I remember about the show before it started or around the time it started was... During the Thanksgiving Day Parade, so this would be obviously November (laughs) of that year, there was a float. Which is on NBC. Which is NBC, obviously. There was a V float, which was made to look like, I guess, a spaceship or something, one of their shuttles. And Mark Singer was there. And I guess some other actors were there kind of in their uniforms and their costumes and they were like Acting aiming. Like they're yeah, shooting. they're aiming the... guns as the float moves through the sun, Oh, I wish we could through find Broadway. That. I wish there was they're a way aiming to find in, that. And it's like, oh, this is not good.
2: <laughs> have you ever looked on YouTube to see I, if anybody no, has that? No, but I gotta look it up, well, see if it exists. if we have any audience at all listening to this, if and anybody if you, can help us with that. And if,
1: and if anybody's ever seen the Thanksgiving Day Parade, unless you're singing, they don't spend more than seven seconds with you. So it's basically seven seconds of Mark Singer posing As a space guy, you know, an action hero. Yeah. So, unfortunately, that was the end of the television version of the show. While this was happening, you know, we did get some very few merchandisable items. If they put you put some
2: large size figures, you know, twelve inch size yes, figures. but I had they a were large size creepy. figure
1: which you could remove the face of the visitor, and it reveals the, the lizard, lizard head. In the back of the head, you press the button, and the tongue comes out. <laughs> and it was really bad. Yeah. But that's all they had. They had nothing. I mean, I know I own like one or two patches from their uniforms, but. They really didn't do any mass marketing of merchandising for that show. Do you remember anything?
2: Well, they put out some weapons, but they were basically just these generic junk guns. Some like, you know, like military type guns that said V in the packaging. Looked like they were made in like a third world, you know, warehouse and, you know, bubble wrapped. But the one thing we always wanted, my brother and I, and my brother seemed to like the show even a little more than I did, was the V-gun. And the V-gun, which... I'll still talk about 30 years later, was this gun that had a handle. They had cool guns. It had a little loop on the bottom, which you could almost hold like a little machine gun in the front and then the barrel. But in the middle of the two handles was a little clear thing that alleged that like the laser would pass through. In the early miniseries, you see the laser actually zap through it. And trust me, I've slow-moded it in every version I could find to see it. That disappeared, kind of like the sound effect of the voice disappeared in the (laughs) series to save money. Yeah, they got rid of that. Well... Lo and behold, years later, it had to be maybe three or four years later, I stumbled upon this gun that was some generic space gun. No name, no nothing. It was just, you know, a space battle gun or something like that. And I'm like, holy cow, this is the V gun with a holster. And there was the V rifle, again, with the stock and the long barrel on it. But like there's the some v...
1: bootleggy type of thing.
2: I don't even think it was a bootleg. I think stuff was made, and when the whole thing fell apart... <laughs> they just <laughs> repackaged <86'd> it. <laughs> it, and it got repackaged as something else a few years later, and I still have the V-Gun. Of all the things I collect, that is one of my favorites, that we have the V-Gun well, with the holster.
1: Like I said, they did have some cool guns. They had cool helmets. Their soldiers had these really cool... They're also, because they're lizards, they don't like the sun. They should like the sunlight, but they like to keep things dark, so they're wearing those visors. A lot of them were wearing glasses, if you remember, these dark... Glasses and stuff. And what I also remember was that around that time was the what I would call my golden age of conventions. Because when I used to go to the conventions back then, a lot of these V people would show up. You know, where you can get the autographs. That's where I got my Robert Enblund, my Jane Badler, my Frank Ashmore. All those autographs I got through conventions around that time. Because the show was very briefly hot for a while. For a year or two, you know, based on the miniseries and the beginning of the actual series.
2: Yeah, and I think they had higher hopes than it wound up. I mean, I think it was a big surprise that it fell apart. The audience literally just walked away from it because of the poor scripts. You know, people won't just take any old crap. And then they canceled, so it's over. A couple other things that they had that were interesting. They made novelizations, kind of like they did with Battlestar Galactica and years before both fans and some established artists did for Star Trek.
1: Right. Initially, they made the tie-ins to, yeah, the, the, to the, the actual the
2: the, the V and the, and the Final Battle. And then they made stuff that took place in other cities. Yeah. The East Coast, Chicago. There were about, I don't know, 15, 20 15, of them or something.
1: Yeah, 12, something like that, yeah. Yeah.
2: And in addition to that, there was a comic book series by DC Comics, and we had that, too. And it was pretty good. I think we stayed loyal to it because my brother was into it. He was of that age that, you know, that was his thing. He was trying to, you know, hold on to it a little longer. But it fell apart. The comic series lasted only about, I don't know, again, 15, 20 issues or something like that. And we were subscribed to it. And we got a letter from DC. And they started sending us, like, Green Lantern or something to fill up the rest of the subscription, you know. So they just ended it unceremoniously.
1: Well, the last blip of anything having to do with V came maybe, what, two years ago, I think it was, when they somehow decided to reboot the series out of
2: the blue. Well, for the past, say, maybe even 10 years ago... And it might have been as a result of 9 11, I feel I started to hear Kenneth Johnson talking about, hey, I've got this new idea to bring it back. That's true. And, And again, I say I think it had something to do with 9 11 because he was tying it in with, you know, the modern terrorism that we were starting to face. And like he did with the Nazism in the original miniseries. And on
1: the internet back then, you could search for a script that was floating around that he wrote for a possible treatment for a continuation, not a reboot, but a continuation that he wanted to do. I
2: know Ain't It Cool website had a couple interviews with him and he would talk about, well, I have this going and I'm trying to do that too. They really didn't seem that interested in it. And it turned out, well, they weren't interested in him. Maybe he was difficult. I, d- I don't know what the reason. Maybe they just didn't want to pay him. But it turned out ABC brought back V. Right now, what's ironic? Is, a reimagining. I guess after uh, Battlestar Galactica became a
1: reimagining. Now, what's interesting is that he really hasn't officially had anything to do with V since the first miniseries yeah. because he never even made it to the second he miniseries. Left there, you know,
2: after the beginning right. of the second because he had a beef with them. Yeah, creative, uh, differences creative differences or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So all of a sudden, ABC decides to redo it. They do it. It
2: only lasts one season, I believe. There were some attractive actors, I believe, but oh, yeah, nothing. yeah, It didn't feel like it had the grab. And- it
1: was modern. It was slick. They tried to highlight the main points of what the original series was, of the original miniseries was. And, you know, it was interesting. It was a little goofy, a little sci-fi channel you know? I gotta
2: tell you, I tried watching it. I think I got 10 minutes in, and I recall it just fell apart for me it's just like and oh, most of the is, characters they
1: redid most of the characters there was i like Michael, the
2: new female alien well that's very the thing the female alien of uh, the girl from macarena from, uh, Baccarara from um, or something like
1: that. firefly uh, from firefly from firefly <laughs> and now she's in uh homeland you know pretty big deal these days the lead character the mark singer character this time around is played by elizabeth mitchell of lost who plays kind of like an fbi agent who's investigating certain things and you know a lot of the main characters now what one of the things they did it was almost kind of like a last-ditch effort to oh scott wolf was in it how did i miss it (laughs) party of v a last-ditch effort to kind of save this reboot was they brought in special guest stars Jane Badler played the mother of- And the-
2: I recall this. They were getting a little bit of attention. I think there yeah. were four episodes or something. Yeah. The, the original run went in like a little section. They weren't quite miniseries, but they were like in a, a blip. And then they stopped for a couple of months. And then they, they realized, okay, well, we've got to lure somebody in. So they did Jane Badler. Yeah. And
1: she lasted a couple of episodes. And then the final, final, final episode, Mark Singer makes an appearance almost as a secret government- Organization that is fighting the visitors without anybody knowing, and that was supposed to be, I guess, the hook
2: to get us to. Was he Mike Donovan, or we didn't know? Did we not know? And you could take your own impression, or was he a different character? Because I was nowhere near that show at that point.
1: No, his character's name is Lars something. Okay,
2: so they're trying to get people to tie it in because of who he was, but it's a little too late, I think.
1: Yeah, he's like a secret government agency. Type of character who apparently, from what they're telling us, has known about this visitor infiltration that's been taking place and they've been preparing for it. And obviously, this is a hook. This is a cliffhanger hook to get people to come back now they're assuming that that's enough of a hook to get people to come back you're lucky if you got the original fans of the show to come back but i don't think that's enough of a hook to get new people to come back so
2: yeah that that was was the end of that that was the end of that for sure and i don't think we're gonna see it again the only way i can imagine it being made again is another remake but like on a sci-fi channel lower budget and then you know sometimes they do these flash gordon type of movies or mini series series you know sci-fi i don't know I, i think this is i think we've seen the end of v and you know, I'm okay with it. But as we said, you like it at first, but...
1: Yeah, I couldn't imagine sitting through the entire series again. Maybe the miniseries, I would watch it. But the actual TV series, ooh, that's a tough one.
2: I tried to watch everything again, knowing, I guess, back around 2004-ish, they were going to release the series. Now, we have them, you know, I say we, my brother has them on the VHS. He taped every one of them on NBC. We still have them. They're in good condition. But I figured well, maybe I would buy it for him on the DVD. So in preparation for getting it, that I'd probably watch it again too, Sci Fi showed a marathon. And it may not have been every episode, it may have been like ten episodes or something like that. They <laughs> ten just too many. They kind of cycled. <laughs> oh my God. And like you can just see. Oh, okay, well, they're trying to do this. So I watched V, I watched V The Final Battle, did did that over five days. The next week was V The Series. It's just bad. It's just bad. There's not really any redeeming. The voices are gone. The special effects are gone because a lot of it is earthbound. So the rest of the new stuff is just stock footage of spaceships flying around. and like This one shot of the fighter-type craft exiting the hangar bay and making this hard turn yeah, to the left. It's a stock shot. Down yeah. to the earth. And... I mean, I, I I've seen stock shots on shows. This one was just in every episode. It felt like you know. Well, and I remember at the time they were, just didn't hold up. They would talk
1: about me. how expensive it was to produce these shows, and just the effects budget alone was way too much for a show that just wasn't getting enough ratings. It doesn't didn't make sense to them. To I keep think it.
2: they were getting robbed because if there was enough big effects budget, somebody was putting it in their pocket. Because <laughs> I mean, we've seen shows, Battlestar Galactica, had a big budget and. It pretty much was on the 70s Battlestar. You pretty much see it on the screen. It's a Star Wars type, you know, special effects. Buck Rogers, not so good. You know, it kind of fell apart the second season. So this show had potential and they just let it go, you know, and I and probably had something to do with what people's tastes were at the time. This is the middle 80s. You know, Miami Vice was big at the time. Dramas, you know, hour-long dramas. I think St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law. That's where the money was going. That's what the people wanted to see. So this sci-fi was back into its, you know, stepchild niche. <laughs>
1: well, the one thing that I will repeat, and that is that for the time, at the time, we enjoyed it. The series, not as not much as, as, you know, the miniseries, but it was worth it. And I'm actually glad that they actually did the reboot because it was kind of fun to resee it again and let, you know, a modern version, even though it wasn't successful. But, you know, it's an iconic sci-fi thing it doesn't get as lost as a lot of other things will get lost but you know you can say to some people hey does anybody remember v the lizard space lizards oh yeah you know you have these these good feelings about it but you don't want to get too deep into it because odds
2: are you're going to get disappointed (laughs) it was nice in its day as i like to say about a lot of things
1: (laughs) well i would like to thank james for joining me today on this examination of v the old and the new and whatever came in between. And we will see you guys here next time on GeekFest Rants.
2: Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody.
0: We have come in peace. Our planet is the fourth in distance from the star you call Sirius, some 8.7 light years from Fantastic. Earth. Fantastic. This is the first time we have left our system. And you, the first intelligent light we've encountered. We're pleased to meet you. Our names would sound peculiar to you, so we, my fellow visitors and I, have chosen simple names from Earth. My name is John. The uh, Secretary General has referred to me as the Supreme Commander. Actually, I'm just sort of a natural, responsible for this small fleet around your planet. We have sent other unmanned craft for us. Some of them have monitored your Earth for quite a while so that we could learn your language. But some of us are not as skilled as others, and I hope that you'll be patient with us. We have come on behalf of our great leader, him who governs our united planet with benevolence and wisdom. We have come because we need your help. Our planet is in serious environmental difficulty, far, far worse than yours It's reached a stage where we will be unable to survive without immediate assistance there are certain chemicals and compounds which we must manufacture which alone can save our struggling civilization and you can help us to manufacture these. and in return we will gladly share with you all the fruits of our knowledge now that we have established contact we would like to meet with individual governments to make requests for certain operating plants to be retooled for the manufacture of the compound which we need. And we'll reward your generosity, as I have said, by educating your industrial and scientific complex to the limits of our knowledge, helping to solve your own environmental, agricultural, and health dilemmas. And we'll leave you as we came in peace. Stop.